welcome to the Non-Breaking Space Show from Austin, Texas. I'm the internet's Christopher Schmidt. And on today's show, I'm joined once again with Rachel Andrew. Rachel is a sought-out expert on web design layout technologies like CSS Grid and Flexbox. She's also an invited expert to the CSS Working Group and the author of several books. Her latest book, The New CSS Layout, is out now from a book apart. Before we get started, some things I'd like you to know. The UX Design Newsletter is a weekly list of articles, tutorials, and inspiration handpicked by yours truly. Sign up at uxdesignnewsletter.com and have the best links of the week sent to your email. Set it and forget it with a non-breaking space show newsletter, so whenever a new episode is ready, you'll be notified in your inbox. You can sign up for the non-breaking space show newsletter at newsletter.nonbreakingspace.tv. Did you know that uh, we have a YouTube channel? Yep. Watch our show unedited at youtube.com slash non-breaking space show. It's all one word, non-breaking space show. If you hear about a site or resource on this show, chances are you'll find the link on today's episode page at nonbreakingspace.tv. Be sure to follow me, Christopher, on Twitter at Teleject, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T. And as always, thank you for telling others about Nonbreaking Space. Now, on with the show. But welcome to the show again, Rachel. So happy to have you back. So um, yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, um, I, you have a new book out. Um, it's called the uh, the new CSS layout. Is that uh, mm-hmm. cartel? Yeah, cool. Um, what made you want to write this book? Um, well, you know, I, I've written a fair few books before. So <laughs> <laughs> I think you've written more books than I have, and. Uh, that's amazing. So. Yeah, you've written quite a lot of books as well. <laughs> yeah, so now I, I have been sort of writing about obviously grid layout and speaking about it for about five years. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that has sort of become apparent in doing that and in talking to people about CSS is that it's not just grid layout that people need to understand. Mm-hmm. They kind of need to understand all this stuff that came before and that is still relevant mm-hmm. and is still useful. And so what I wanted to do is kind of put all that together into one not-too-long thing that people could read through and actually understand how layout works, mm-hmm. not just so learning grid layout in isolation, but actually learning how layout in CSS actually works. Um, so I think that what's kind of happened over the last few years is people have been using things like frameworks, like Bootstrap or their own in-house thing or whatever, to kind of abstract away all the horribleness of figuring out percentages and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And it's actually left people a little bit kind of almost de-skilled in terms of how CSS really works. Mm. And so that was really the thinking was not just to teach grid. And then that's the reason a lot of people buy the book is they want to learn about grid layout. It's the new shiny thing. Uh, But also what I want to do along with that is help to explain what layout really is and and, what we have to deal with. Yeah. And that's one of the things I was was surprised. I was like, um, you know, because you've you've spoken about CSS grids and, and Flexbox for a while. And so when I... Um, you know, I got a preview copy of the book um, and went through it. I was just like really uh, impressed. That actually, you wanted to put everything into context in terms of what's gone out before. And so, um, you know, um, I think the only thing that was missing was like a really detailed history of HTML table layouts. That's my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I don't think everyone's used that except if they do HTML emails uh, anymore. But uh, 
but even then we're trying to abstract that away too. So with, mm. uh, with stuff we'll get to that later, but yeah, so you do talk about uh, floats. Uh, you talk about the clear fix solution for floating uh, layouts. Um, and you talk about the inline blocking and how that was kind of a, kind of a midway solution. And then you talk about uh, using display table. And so mm. um, I know you, we, we, we were talking about uh, your new book. And so um, Kate, but you did write a book about display table as, as I think the main emphasis before this book mm-hmm. about that. And so about using tables and stuff like that. So, so I just want to get your impression on like, what, what do you think of that book in terms of like, you know, of, of layout and, and in terms of like, is that, do you think, I mean, we, we obviously have six CSS grids now and Flexbox, but you know, I think a lot of when that book came out, it was just sort of like just using tables again, but in new form format, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, I think the thing with, the sort of CSS display table stuff is it's the only way we had in the past to actually properly align things. Right. And that's the key thing. And it's still pretty useful if you need to support, you know, really old IEs or something for some reason. Right. Uh, which I do in my own product, so I know the pain. <laughs> we support we support back to IE9. And um wow. display table cell turns out to be really handy for creating fallbacks of flex and grid. Uh, so that's the other reason why knowing all this stuff is really helpful because if you are the sort of person who you know works in an organization where you have to have you know very good support going back you can't just give you things a very simple layout then understanding how css works means that you can actually create pretty nice fallbacks without you know having to do a whole load of extra code and things right i mean um i i was speaking with dave rupert about this and also he blogged about it just recently about uh I think his blog post is like four of loops are bad. And basically he went through, uh, you know, trying to optimize his site, you know, for JavaScript and get the, you know, get the file size lower. And he just really wanted uh, like a, a, a for loop, you know, just, you know, basically, and, and how he got back to it was like, he was using all these uh, frameworks, JavaScript frameworks and framework solutions. And so he was re- realizing like, Hey, if I just like, like hard co- code the solution <laughs> into like vanilla JavaScript, I actually get my uh, JavaScript payload to be lower. And then he realized, like, you know, he was actually, like, using all these transpilers to, to make his JavaScript. And he realized, like, the transpiler was actually inflating the cost of, of his page. And so, and just by examining, like, hey, what are we doing? You know, like, like we're, like, we're kind of mistaking um, having our workflow as, as some sort of, like, great thing when we're actually not walk, watching what our code is actually producing or, or looking at shortcuts to boost the code. So, Yeah, well, that's, I mean... It's, it really is if you customize something for what you're doing, you, it's generally going to be a lot leaner mm-hmm. um, because any third-party thing has to solve a lot of problems to make it useful and to make it generic. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's the same with, with CSS or JavaScript or with PHP or whatever. You know, If you bring in some third-party thing, it's probably solving problems that you'll never encounter. Um, and it's whether it's, it's worth that to you. And I think increasingly it's not so much worth it, uh, particularly with things that are dealing with layout because we've got these newer methods and they're pretty well supported. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, another thing about like, I guess kind of tangent to like kind of bloated a little bit was that, uh, you know, we grew up or like not grew up, like, you know, we, I don't think that's a kind of wrong term. Like we've seen the industry mature a lot. And so we were like really gung-ho, um, you know, if I may say we, but uh, like with semantic make- markup, you know, we really wanted to make sure our CSS and our HTML was lean, you know, talk about customization, you get like leaner code. And then all of a sudden, you know, I just kind of blinked 
my eye, you know, um, I do like my fault is like, I, I don't really do a lot of production uh, work as much as I used to. So um, it just seemed like everyone was like, Hey, we'll just put a whole bunch of classes that mean like different things. Like, Oh, this, yeah. this class is, is, you know, you know, all this stuff. So, I mean, you, you do mention that in your book a little bit. And so I just want to see, you know, what your, what your point of view, like, is that in terms of, you know, as someone who's, you know, seen the industry grow and um, also like we think of it present and where you think it's kind of going in the, in the future. Yeah, I mean, I'm fairly laid back about adding multiple classes to things. It can be really useful. It can be a useful way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest issue really with the frameworks is the is getting so abstracted from actually writing CSS that you forget how to write CSS. I think if you made a decision that for your particular project, for your particular team, the easiest way for people to deal with the, the CSS, to deal with styling things, is for them to add a class to things. Mm-hmm then that seems like a reasonable decision. Um, I think my problem really is when people are just doing this because actually they've really lost touch with how to make a good decision. They're just doing it because that's what they've always done now. Mm. And they don't really know how to write that CSS themselves. There's a huge difference between, you know, I can write CSS well for this particular project using foundation or what have you is a good choice. Mm. And it can be a good choice. You know, we use it for our docs and things. We've got sites to use foundation. It's, you know, it's not these things are a bad idea. Mm-hmm. It's whether you're in a position to make those decisions. And that's really where I want people to get to mm-hmm. is, is that they're in a position to make a good decision as to, oh, right, I'd like to use this third party thing. It's going to save me a bunch of time. The downsides, I know what they are, but they're not huge for this project. Um, or this thing needs to be really massively optimized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to write every line by hand and really sweat the details. You know, it's, when do you need to be one or the other or somewhere in between? And you only get that by understanding what it is you're writing. Yeah, I mean, do you do you feel like people aren't learning CSS or like, or like just you know, or they they're gravitating away towards just frameworks a lot, or just I mean, I mean, just in, in your point of view, like yeah, I mean, I, I'm seeing people come into workshops. So you know, you say, oh, you you need to be able to write CSS. You know, this is an advanced CSS workshop. Oh yes, I'm advanced CSS. And yet when it comes down to it, it's quite obvious they haven't really written any CSS or haven't written any for a very long time. They've been kind of, yeah, you know, using a framework and maybe tweaking little bits or making some changes in SAS, but they're not actually writing CSS. They're not sitting down and, you know, totally from a blank page, able to put together a layout. Um, and increasingly I'm seeing that. And so, People are completely mystified by things that, if you're old like us and you've sort of started from the beginning, it's just sort of fairly obvious what the ways things work. You know, things like the cascade, people just don't understand it. They don't understand specificity. They don't understand sizing and things, which is becoming more complicated and more kind of fully featured. So you kind of need to understand how big things are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's all those fundamentals, really, that are really key. And, and none of them take that long for people to learn mm-hmm. if they realize they need to know them right yeah it just seems like uh it's almost like a utopia in, in some in some ways with css with css grid and you know just uh layouts and i think also with media queries in some way just like kind of like was a great uh just kind of broke the glass in terms of of being able to have the layouts we wish we had when we first started out you know doing html tables and stuff and then and now that we have these great uh you know technologies for you know with the design language of the web it's it's people are just like oh well what i have the framework you know (laughs) so 
or, or they're just trying to or they're just trying to recreate the framework with them right you know? and it's like, yeah. let's, let's just do the same thing again you know yeah well i mean that's like people learn I, I, i'm okay with that because i feel like you know if you if you want to recreate like you know an old framework with Hmm. new CSS grids. I think, well, you're learning, right? You're learning how to, yeah. that's going oh, yeah. on. But if you're just like, say, I always want to reproduce that and, and just use that. I'm like, well, we're just spinning the wheels. So, um, but yeah, but yeah, I just feel like, uh, you know, with the CSS grids and uh, Flexbox and, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, with CSS variables or is this that are native now? It's like, wow, this is amazing. So we, hmm. we have like so many great opportunities uh, to, uh, to design pages now. And so, and couple that with you know with you know Jen Simmons' work and what she's trying to you know do to help flesh that out there. And um, I mean, you you spoken at CSS DevConf before, but uh, this year when, with our CSS DevConf that we just wrapped up uh, in early October, it was just like I think twenty to forty percent people were just still interested in CSS grids, mm-hmm. and they're just um, trying to to grasp their hands because like you know because I now supports mm-hmm. uh, CSS grids, so it's you know so there's a lot of interest in it, and so I felt like. You know, like, well, Rachel's been talking about CSS grids forever. Why don't, like, she was, she's been here forever. Like, why don't we already know this already? So, um, so it's been, yeah, I I think there's a lot of people who, until something is shipped and out there and browsers won't look at it, uh, which is always the challenge with, with grid when it was behind the flags when we're trying to get feedback is people are like, yeah, I'll look at that when it's live. Yeah, look where it's shipped. And I think this is something that it's important that people understand that now, because all this new development happens behind browser flags, if you want to make an impact on a spec, you kind of need to do that while it's still behind the flags. And this is, you know, something I've said over and over again. People are like, well, why doesn't it do this? And we're like, well, no one suggested. <laughs> you know? um, and it really is that because there's so few of us actually were putting input into Grid while it was behind a flag, you know, that weren't actually just spec writers or, or people who work on browsers, browser engineers, mm-hmm. who are all fantastic people, but they don't build websites, yeah. you know, and, is getting the views from people who actually build websites is really important. Um, and I, that's what I try and do, you know, when I'm speaking at conferences and talking to people. Right. Yeah. And um, I know, like, there's been several, like, several, I mean, few, I don't know, not several hundred, it's kind of, but I mean, there's been a, a few attempts for designers, you know, I'm not calling it designers, but just like designers or developers to actually get more input into, like, the CSS working groups and into the specs. And, um, and I think it's just really hard. For designers uh, to come, who are like you know visual learners, visual mm-hmm. you know makers, if you will, to come and say run headlong into a spec, you know it's just it's mm-hmm. very hard for them to understand that, and so I'm not sure how we can make that um, easier for designers to give input, um, just because you know you know uh, I, I you know, I'm just using an example that you know, they're visual and it's kind of hard for people to, to to read abstract you know text and and code and, and try to figure out like what potential solutions that they have. I think the closest we came to like having that sort of like, you know, what designers really need was with the um, responsive images uh, Mm -hmm. community group. And that was, you know, and that still was kind of, you know, chaotic in terms of trying to get that thing uh, passed through and stuff like that too. So, yeah. I mean, I think what I really like people to understand is that the sort of work on the specs is a bit like software development. You know, if you've got an idea for a feature for a product, um, and you want to explain that to the product owner. You want to say, well, you know, I, I think this would be a really good, I've got this use case, this thing I'm trying to do, I can't do it, and here's my use case, and here's kind of how I, I see this working out. This is what it would solve for me. 
Um, you know, coming back to the problem you're trying to solve as opposed to exact wording or exact code or whatever. And it's exactly the same with the specs, really. You know, if you look at Grid and think, well, you know, why doesn't it do this certain thing? Um, and you can actually describe why you need that thing and the use case it's solving. That's actually all you need to do. The people who work on the specs will figure out the complicated stuff that goes on to actually make these things work. If it turns out the idea's got legs. But the key thing is actually to say, hey, here's a design pattern that we can't build. Right. You know, I've got a design pattern. Um, this is what it's used for. And at the moment, we have to do some atrocious hack or we have to use JavaScript or whatever it is yeah. in order to to do this thing. And I think that CSS ought to do it. Mm. And sometimes, actually, that's going to be something that can be done in CSS. It's just that nobody's thought about it at the working group because we don't see that use case. Right. Um, so I think you don't need to sort of think, oh, I need to be someone who can understand in depth the specifications. That That is hard to get any anywhere in depth. And I think most people can read a spec if they, you know, if they put a bit of work into it. But you don't have to kind of work all of the, the bits out in order to contribute. You just need to know there's a use case and know you can't really solve it. Um, and the thing is, if, if you come and post something and say, I've got this use case, and some of the working group says, oh, there's this unimplemented bit of a spec over here that would solve this. Well, great. Then you know that actually it's a browser vendor you want to chase and say, implement this. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's... It's a technical world, but people are generally fairly friendly and are interested in in those use cases if you can bring them. Well, let's just say if someone's listening right now and they say, like, well, um, I have a use case um, and I, I've done a little bit of research. I can't solve this problem without master JavaScript or like a, a, or you know, a patch with JavaScript. Um, and they've done the, a little bit of due diligence. They'll, they'll package up you know, a code example and maybe write up in CodePen or... or as a case test case, say, hey, this is what I want, and this is what I built. Where would they go to say, hey, uh, can we solve? Like, where, where would they take that their example to? Where, where would you suggest them go? Um, really directly to the the CSS working group um, drafts repository on GitHub, which we could always, I guess, stick the URL in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and so basically, issues on specs are raised just like issues in any open source project. So you can raise an issue, and even if you, if you know which spec it probably relates to, so if you think this is a grid thing, you could always, you know, sort of say, prefix it with CSS grid so it, it shows up. But even if you don't know which spec it really belongs to, you can just put your issue in and say, I've got this use case, I've got this design pattern that we can't do. Mm. You know, here's, here's details. And... Um, someone at the working group will find that and tag it up correctly so it goes into the right place. And those things get discussed. You know, they get discussed in the weekly calls or, you know, at the um, face-to-face meetings. I mean, that's that's what they're there for. Um, so if, if you raise something that looks reasonable, if someone realizes there's actually a way to achieve that already, even if it's not implemented, then they'll probably just point that out to you. Um, yeah, right. And that's fine. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and then, yeah. Yeah, and then you know that it can be done, and maybe, as say, it's a case of having to go and raise bugs against browser vendors and say, <laughs> this exists, so we can't do it yet. Please okay. implement. Um, you know, it might be that it's something that, that then comes around and is like next level of grid or next level of Flexbox or, or what have you. Um, and it's not a quick process. You're not going to get it very, very quickly because this stuff takes a long time to, to work out and then get implemented in browsers. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's worth putting your stuff in because eventually this stuff does happen, you know, as we've seen with Grid. You know, we, we, we end up with something that's really useful and, um, and that a lot of us have, have been kind of hoping for for a long time. 
Yeah, definitely. So one thing um, I read in your book, I had trouble understanding. I was wondering if you could, uh, um, just to switch gears a little bit, just uh, to see if you talk about, uh, explain this a little bit more. Can you talk about like the formatting context and what does that mean? Because I think uh, you were explaining it in the book in terms of, of you know, CSS floats and what does that mean? Like, so can you just explain that in like in terms of, of, of how that means in terms of a layout and, and spec and some of that? So uh, uh, you mean the block formatting context? Yes. Like, that, yes. Yeah, sorry. That's what we're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry. Just so, yes. So I think, I think it's one of those things that people probably know about, um, but maybe don't know what it's called. And I keep trying to, in my talks as well, I try and use like the real words for things to right. make sure that people can go and look look them up. And I appreciate that so much. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, it's, in, it's impossible to look stuff up if you don't know what it's called, what it actually is. You right. Know, so. So, yeah. So and yeah. I think, yeah, I think CSS is full of those things. Uh, things that we kind of know happen, um, but we probably don't really have the words for. Um, so basically, a block formatting context is essentially something. It's basically a, a region of, of a page, like a chunk of the page, or it might be the whole page, um, in which it's, it's kind of like a mini layout of itself. So if you've got, um, if you float something, the things that has a block format in context. So, you know, if you float something, you float things inside it, they don't, the border on the float won't jump up above the other floats. That's because it creates a block format in context. Um, and things like, um, Okay, so absolutely position things, create a block format in context. Um, and so, so basically it's, it contains everything inside it. So things like floats won't poke out of it uh, and so on. That's probably the main, the main kind of behavior that people understand of, of, of a BFC is that floats won't escape from it. Okay. Um, and so we've got this new value of display, which is flow root, um, which basically allows you to create a block format in context. So say everything inside here, just stay inside this box. Um, <laughs> and that's what flow root does. Um, if you set overflow to um, uh, hidden or, or what have you, that contains floats as well, which is probably somewhere that people have, have come across doing this, although they won't realize that's what they're doing. Okay. Um, so yes. So it, it's just one of those things that I think people probably know happens because they've done the kind of overflow trick to contain their floats, right. but not what it's doing. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think I was trying to like because I was reading your book. I was like, I I don't think I've ever heard of this, but yet I've probably rely on this happening so much time. Yeah, <laughs> so I was just like, ah. and so yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for for talking about that. But yeah, yeah, and I used overflow heading for I was trying to solve a problem with uh, CSS, like 3D perspective of this thing extending so much because I had this thing like perspective and I was just like, just walking out the page layout. And I was just like, let me try overflow head. And I was like, oh wait, I just solved the problem. That was, hmm. that was great. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, set, setting a value of overflow works most of the time for that sort of stuff. Um, you can get problems with like shadows being clipped or yeah. unusual scroll bars appearing, which is what flow root will do is, when it's implemented everywhere, that allows you to just create the BFC without any other unintended behavior. Oh, nice. Um, which, which is nice. And then also it says that's what you wanted. Um, if you use overflow, another developer might think, well, why have they used overflow? Do they want scroll bars? What, what, <laughs> what, you know, what, what's this for? So, right. 
Okay, cool. That's great. I thank you so much for that. That was great. And um, I, I love your description of floats. I think there was like one bit that I like. I think I uh, laughed out loud was uh, when you use you can still use as floats uh, because I felt like you know a lot of people are in industry like when something new happens. It's like, yeah. th this is the good way of doing it. And so the old way is bad. And which is, you know, I can totally get on board with HTML table layouts being bad. But like, you know, mm -hmm. this is like the example you had in the caption was like, uh, you can float images to your left. And this is still valid. I've had people tr basically trying to reinvent floats with grid. They're like, how <laughs> do I do this? And I'm like, no, no, no. You know what you want there? You want a float. Yeah. <laughs> That's what float does. Yeah. Um, yeah. I keep saying, you know. Oh, old CSS still exists and it's fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, that I just want to say that I was very happy with that. That was really, that made me laugh out loud. So um, yeah, just uh, but so and then you also in the, in the book you also mentioned uh, multi CSS uh, multi column columns mm -hmm. in your in your book. So I was just really impressed with the book in terms of like you know I you know I was expecting like pretty much you know a book of your talk, but but I felt it was like even more than what I was expecting because again we talked about the context of CSS layout in the history and putting in that context, but also you looked at other things beyond uh, CSS grid. Um, and, and one of them was the multi-column um, mm -hmm. in CSS. And so I really wish people, I'm not sure, like, you know, just my looking around, I just haven't seen a lot of people pick up multi-columns in CSS in, in terms of their their work. Mm -hmm. So I actually, sat yeah. in, I actually sat in on a responsive web design course and um, we we're trying to like, you know, just kind of, you know, just kind of helping people out but also trying to like learn like you know, how do how do you teach responsible design like how do other people teach mm -hmm. it and it's just like so i was in this course like well why don't we not do all these freaking mini queries and just use a uh, multi-columns for this one portion of this page it's like mm. yeah i guess we could yeah i guess like yeah well i said multi-column is interesting because it's kind of the first thing that behaved like that that said well i've you know what is my available space and I'm just going to make three columns out of this space. Mm -hmm. uh, and it kind of looks forward really to what we've got with Flexbox and Grid. Mm. Um, and I think part of the problem with multicolor is people think of it as being sort of newspaper-like columns. Right. And like that's not a great reading experience. No. But it's it's good for small things. I use it a lot for collapsing down small UI elements. Like I've got some checkboxes and they're in a big long list and I just want to collapse them down so they've only got like one word next to each of them or something. Yeah. Uh, multicolor is handy for that. Um, there are a whole bunch of bugs with multicol. It kind of got the the spec actually got a bit abandoned, and I'm now co-editor of that spec, so uh -huh. I'm trying to fix it um, <laughs> because uh, because hopefully, yeah, we can because there are bugs and there are things that don't you know aren't implemented in one browser or another um, because the spec kind of never got finished. So that's really where we are with that. It's trying to get the spec finished. So. Oh, nice we can then get the bugs fixed. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I do admit, like I have a newspaper design uh, like layout background, and so I do like, oh, I just put the columns of text and layouts, and then you, you're you on even, you know, it doesn't really work on mobile, but it uh, doesn't even work great on uh, display because the whole nature, I think people are just used to reading a column from mm. top down, and so it's kind of like weird, like oh, I have to go back up and read this text again. So yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I, li I like the approach of, uh, like your approach, your idea of this like mini like UI. Yeah. Yes, chart. little things. And and sometimes there are short bits of text that work really nicely wrapped to, you know, like you might have some text next to an image in like a sort of media object or something. Right. And displaying that in two columns might work really nicely. So you, you can use it. And it's it's the only thing we have that flows content at the moment in that way. Yeah. Um, you know, everything else, you kind of have to have elements, which which you then break, choose yourself what's going to go into each element. Um, 
So it's a bit of a different kind of layout. Yeah. So uh, like I, I mentioned briefly, like like multi-column, like I like it because of it's, you know, in this class I was talking about, like it was immediate query, you know, we don't have to use many queries. It's like, um, and I'm just really interested in, you know, doing responsive design without having to rely on media queries. And so like, you know, I love uh, viewport uh, sizing. Mm -hmm. I just, mm -hmm. I love that so much. Is there like anything on the horizon or thing now that, you know, f you know, just to, that we could uh, tackle and use for, for um, kind of a media query less way of doing mm -hmm. that. And I think it's, it's kind of like, I'm not sure if that's just something I, I'm really into and no one else is into, but uh, I just felt like, so like asking your opinion about that. And so, yeah, I think there's a bunch of stuff in, in CSS sizing. So we've got some keywords. There's uh, min content, max content, fit content, which are implemented in grid. Uh, you can use them for track sizing. And they're worth looking at because they let you do things. So like fit content, you can use that as a keyword in a track sizing. And you basically pass in a value. So it's fit dash content. Then in the brackets, um, you put a length there. So say if you had fit content 300 pixels, what would happen is the the content would get, the track would get as big as the content size. So if you had a string of text in there, it would keep on growing until it got to the value you'd specified, and then it would stop. Um, the advantage of this is you could have things like, um, like a component which has an image and some content. And sometimes that component has a little tiny image in, and so that's a big image in. Uh, by using fit content, you can stop the image growing too big by sort of having a maximum value. Um, but little images will just make the track very small um, so that you can have this sort of very flexible component. And there's a whole bunch of stuff around content-based sizing that can let you just create these very flexible components that will kind of work wherever they are. Mm. Um, so that's quite useful and, and means you don't have to sort of overly specify everything with media queries in order to make it behave. Okay, cool. Thank you. I'll take a look at that. Cool. And um, another thing... Uh, in your book that like that we have now with CSS grids, uh, just talk about is the source order versus display order. Mm -hmm. And so I think that will, you know, I, I just love the idea that we don't have to worry about, we actually create, you know, I'm, I'm assuming we can just create a, uh, you know, a semantic page where we just have like top, bottom, like in terms of order of importance, and then we can go back with CSS grids and say, hey, okay, well, this is where I want things when they're displayed in a desktop or in versus out of mobile. So that too. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I mean, to some extent, I mean, you have to be still fairly careful in that what you don't do is mm. kind of create a, an experience which is horrendous for anyone keyboard navigating. Yeah. Um, so any, um, any user agent is supposed to follow the source order and not the display order right. um, in terms of, so if you're like tabbing on the document, for example, if you're using a keyboard, okay. Uh, and so it's quite easy to create a horrible mess. You do if you're starting to reorder things. Um, it's very tempting in Grid just to move things all over the place because you can. Um, you should probably look and check that your source still has a logical order. Having done that, um, it's not going to be the same for every layout because so you know sometimes there are things that you know you don't need to tab around or what have you. You've got a set of images or something. Um, but I think yes, just just be. As we're all getting excited about the fact we've got this freedom, um, just making sure that you don't create a, you know, not everyone who is uh, who has accessibility needs is like unable to see, um, and is using a screen reader. So I think it's it's just sort of bearing that stuff in mind, I guess. Okay, so are you just are you afraid that someone would just have a like a source order like 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 
either have a really badly marked up page, like they put mm-hmm. things in a different order, and then they have a nice page layout, and they tab weird, or vice versa, where they have a nice page where the contents like you know main importance to lower importance, and then they just 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 walkify the, the layout of the page where they put like the the minimal stuff on the page up front, and so people are are tapping around lost. Uh, what is, yeah, well, it's really, I mean, if, if say you had, I don't know, a list of products that where you start tabbing at the top left and you work across the list and you see, you know, you, you go from one to the other and it all makes sense, um, you could quite easily with Grid decide to rearrange those. Mm-hmm. And you could, you know, so someone could start at the first one and then find themselves jumping, you know, right down to the bottom, which could be scrolled away somewhere to the next one because you, you can do that with Grid. You know, I can say, oh, I'd like this to be after line eight or you know down the bottom so i think it's just that it's actually getting to your keyboard and saying does it make sense still if i'm hopping around from heading to heading or from link to link um because you say we've we've got this ability to disconnect the two now um and that's i think we just need to be careful with that really okay cool and then um what are your views on the fallbacks like what fallbacks are there like so if i want to use CSS grid, um, you know, I think you talk about uh, using the support for me queries. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you uh, use support and then say use CSS grids, or um, is, is that the best way of implementing it in terms of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've got feature queries. Feature queries are great. Mm-hmm. They are very well supported. So there's nothing new that's going to show up in CSS that you can't use a feature query to check for. So basically you just say at supports and just like you use media queries. So the media mm-hmm. query you say at media and then like okay. you're in width or something. With feature queries you say at supports and then for grid you'd say display grid. And that's really just, you know, hey browser, do you support um, CSS grid? And if the browser says yes, then you can do grid stuff and know it's safe and it isn't going to affect browsers that mm-hmm. don't do grid stuff. Um, and for old browsers that support neither feature queries nor grid, that's fine because you do that stuff first and then you overwrite it inside your feature query. Um, And you don't have to overwrite everything because in the specs, it's defined sort of how old, what happens if like an old layout method and a new one come together. So if, if you've said float left on item to sort of line things up with floats, and then that item becomes a grid item because you say display grid on its parent, the float just takes no effect anymore. It's okay. basically just thrown away. Oh, nice. um, and, there's, and there's a whole bunch of that, those sort of interactions, you know, things like inline block and display table cell and so on. Grid will just, if those things become grid items, the properties they've got basically just get thrown away. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, so you don't have to overwrite absolutely every single thing um, with the grid version. You can pretty much, you know, most things are going to get are going to get sort of thrown away by the, the fact these things interact with each other. Okay, cool. And then, um, yeah, I just in my personal view, is just like I would just do feature queries, like you mentioned, and just and just serve up a really nice print style sheet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> just like, hey, here you go. If you don't have your, if you're, yeah, I mean, that's you. You have to kind of make those decisions based on what yeah. your site's like and the visitors. Um, and, and the other thing to remember is that the, there is an old version of Grid in. Um, i10 and 11 this spec came from microsoft in the first place Mm -hmm. so you can create pretty nice fallbacks with that old version but it is very different from new grid um so you can't just run auto prefix and it'll sort out for you you kind of need to create a layout with it 
But if you need to have a high level of support for old IEs, that's actually a very good option. And that stuff is there and works. Okay, cool. That's great. And then um, one thing you mentioned is like, uh, I guess the future for for styling for non-rectangular grid elements. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you talk, talk about that a little bit? Uh, it's a note in the spec, really, at the moment. At the moment, you know, a, a grid area has to be a rectangular. So it, it can be any number of cells, but they have to create a rectangle. Um, so you can't create a Tetris piece that's <laughs> at the moment. Um, and it's, it, there's a note in the spec saying maybe that's possible in the future, because obviously yeah. that would be quite nice if we could right. have an, an area that, you know, content could go into that was L-shaped, for example. Right. Um, at the moment, that's not possible. It, you know, if people have use cases for that sort of thing, it makes it more likely that it would get implemented. So, you know, if you, that's the sort of stuff that if you're coming up against and you think, oh, it'd be really useful if we could do this and I've got a use case for it, well, that's exactly what to go and post okay. to let us know that you've got a use case. Well, I got a use case. Uh, it's my phone has a notch in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do I design around that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I'm half joking, but that, I'm really excited about that because, like, I know it's just note, like you just, like you just told me, like it's just like a, a TPA, like a TPA announced later on. But, uh, but I feel like I'm really excited uh, moving away from rectangles in our, you mm. know, in our displays because, you know, uh, with the advancement of, you know, you know, I think people are listening like, well, that's not advancement, but like, you know, with flat screen TVs, uh, with you know, with um, projection mapping, and with uh, just, you know. Rem- being able to use apps to remotely control things, displays, so that I feel like, you know, there's just a great future happening with uh, just uh, just non-rectangular images, and so mm-hmm. we're going to have to like fake it with, like I said, with projection mapping and so that where like you still have this big, you know, square, but you're kind of like just tricking uh, the display in terms of what's going on. But uh, but I feel like you know, but even then that you know we will have like the iPhone notch, you know, with the iPhone X. You know, maybe we'll get these non-rectangular devices in the future. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there is there's a so there's a spec um, called CSS Round Display. It's not something I know a huge amount about, but that's basically designed for like circular watches right. and so on. So th- this stuff is kind of starting to happen. Um, yeah. And I think as we get as we get displays that you know behave differently, that look differently, there are different shapes, so we're probably going to see more of that stuff happen because people are going to want to be able to design for them. Right. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, well, I'm excited for that. So we're really looking forward. Hopefully, we'll some uh, one of the big companies will make a a non-rectangular display that we all everyone will, will buy and they'll kind of force our, our hand to have yeah, great, I, great, I'm great specs. I'm thinking a nice sort of curved sort of pebble like. <laughs> yeah, <know>? exactly. <laughs> that that'd be a good challenge. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Um, I do want to talk about something else in the future, but I just want to case anyone wants to drop off. Uh, it's the new CSS layout. It's book number twenty-four from a book parts. It's a nice, uh, I think it's blurple. It's like a blue-purple color book. I'm not really sure what color you have for your book, uh, for the <laughs> for book apart. But, uh, but yeah, cool. Uh, definitely yeah, pick it up. I, and I totally enjoy the book. Um, but also, but uh, your, I do want to talk about uh, your, your business, Perch. I just want to see what the state of it, you know, what, mm-hmm. just in case people don't know what it is, can you describe what solutions uh, Perch solves? Uh, what, you know, I know you have other products in the Perch lineup, and I just want to mm-hmm. talk about the state of Perch and, and what and how that is yeah sure um so perch is a content management system it's php and mysql you host it yourself and it is uh, getting on for being nine years old we've been doing this for quite a long time <laughs> uh, we're on to version three now and basically 
Perch, we've kind of this kind of two products. Perch is essentially a drop-in CMS for web designers. If you've got, for instance, a static-ish site, it's really just a set of pages that you want to edit small parts, but you want to edit in a way that maintains all your nice markup and lets you use the markup you want to use and, and so on. That's really what Perch is designed for, to be kind of quick and simple. You don't need to turn your whole site into a theme uh, to use it like you would if you were going to, say, implement WordPress. Um, and then we've got Runway, which is kind of a uses the same templating engine but it's much more for your sort of big content-based site um but again taking this idea of having lots of structured content um and that's got an api to run headless uh, so if you need to get your content out as json to put it into an app or what have you you can do that with runway oh nice that's awesome so yeah so they're, they're kind of two sides and they, they share a templating engine and a lot of people use both products they'll use perch for their small things and runway for their big things mm-hmm. because all the templates are the same oh, nice. so which means you're not having to you know people who just work on the templates often people's designers work on the templates rather than the developers they're not having to learn two different languages to do that oh awesome great well thanks so much for the, uh, for the update about that so and i guess uh what's the url with people learn more about perch uh, if you go to grabaperch.com, Grabaperch, okay. is, uh, that's where we are. Cool. And the book is The New CSS Layout, and that's available at abookapart.com. Cool. And how can people find uh, uh, find you on the web? If- um, well, I am at Rachel Andrew on Twitter and most other places. And my personal site, and where I have a lot of, sort of CSS information and things, is rachelandrew.co.uk. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for being on the show. really appreciate it. Ah, it's been good to be here. Thank you.